Welcome to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio, a show where we help B2B and CPG marketers unlock the power of digital marketing to fuel growth and creativity in their organizations. Our host today is Cheryl Beam, the Director of Copywriting at Tenlo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Leader Generation, brought to you by Tenlo Radio. Our guest today is Ryan Boog. He is the owner of Minnesota-based Happy Dog, a digital agency that creates custom web apps, mobile apps, and software that helps businesses make sense of their data. And today's conversation is about the evolution B2B companies have experienced after the pandemic. A lot of us have begun to move online whether that's doing more research inside of the buying process or starting to move more of the inventory and services and parts and products that we sell to marketplaces. In fact, now B2B purchasers are willing to spend up to $500,000 online, which is kind of insane when we think about where we came from with being heavily dependent on our trade shows and our sales teams. So that's still really important and the percentage of people at that comfort level is going to begin to grow, but it does open us up to some new vulnerabilities, some new standards that we might have to meet. And Ryan, having spent a lot of time in custom software and apps and websites that face more consumers and commerce has a perspective on what that can mean for us moving forward. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you. This is, you know, sort of accessible websites, ADA compliance, definitely not totally foreign to us, but newish, not something we've had to worry about, especially as B2B marketers who aren't always selling online. So we're excited to explore this topic with you. I'm happy to explore it with you as well. And thanks for having me on. Yeah. So you have a really interesting origin story. Tell us a little bit about how Happy Dog started. Well, as you'll soon find out by my accent that it started up in Minnesota and we're still in Minnesota from humble beginnings. I started a a digital agency, Happy Dog, 11 years ago. And I guess I'll talk more about how the brand evolved to where in our services evolved to where they have. So we started out from humble beginnings. We were just a run of the mill web agency. We made websites, did SEO marketing, you know, that sort of thing. And a few years into it, I started to see a a shift in the landscape of digital and web specifically was going in two different directions. There was the, let's make it easy for everybody direction, which is your Squarespace, Wix, your WordPress, make it super simple for people to make a website. They can drag and drop what they need and this is great. You know, I think that that's an awesome approach that's really helped a lot of businesses, especially in the pandemic that just happened. So I'm not bashing on that at all, but there was also the, the flip side of that, who's developing the really highly technical software, who's developing the mobile apps and who's producing the really high end code and the high end development. So that's where I position the brand from the beginning from the web agency to where we are now. So um, yeah, like we mentioned, yeah, we work with high-end code and software and mobile apps and 
that's allowed us to work with companies like XL Energy, the Minnesota Timberwolves, and some other professional sports teams and billion dollar companies, a lot of large clients, which is great because we're, we're not a large company. We're a small company in Minnesota. So I guess that's the long-winded answer for how our origin story and kind of how we developed into who we are. That's really exciting that you get to work on so many different types of clients. Uh, When does accessibility and ADA compliance come up? Because those, they all sound like they're from very different types of industries too. Yeah, that's fun. That's the really fun part about what we do is we have different clients from all over the place. So we try to get to know our clients really well, which means we have to get to know the restaurant industry, the auction industry, the mattress industry, the sports industry, the energy industry. So it keeps us on our toes for sure. And like you said, we really have to be very multifaceted with that. So when ADA compliance comes up, well, first, I guess I'll differentiate. There's ADA and WCAG, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to get too technical here, but ADA is more of like the law that people would have to go by for accessibility, and WCAG is the accessibility, I guess, checklist that you'd want to go off to make sure that it's um, up to snuff that you would pass the ADA law. So when you hear me talk about ADA or WCAG, that's what that means. Well, when it comes up in our client projects, that's a good question. I would say when we're pushing high-end projects the way we do in the advanced code, it comes up right away. And that's in the discovery phase. So we work with our clients and the discovery phase, most of the time is a, it's a paid session before we even write our scope of workout. And within that, we learned what accessibility needs are there is everything already fully accessible? Do we have to develop everything from scratch? You know, all sorts of things. So it really does come up really early on in the discovery phase as well. So, but on that note, I don't think it comes up enough and we are the ones bringing it up. It's, I don't really recall clients coming to us and saying, Hey, we need to make this accessible. It's usually, it's us all the time saying we need to make this accessible so you don't get in trouble. So I think the only time that I can recall, we worked with a local company here in Minnesota that was a big billion dollar company and they had a large IT team and a large security team. And I can tell they were just chomping at the bit for something to do. And hey, can you make this accessible? And that actually got us excited. So it's okay, yeah, we great. Yeah, let's work together. Let's make this accessible. But that's like the only time. So it's sad for a company to have to allocate those kind of resources for that one question to come up. But typically, yes, we are the ones bringing it up and we bring it up nice and early. I like what you said that, you know, for high-end projects, it's, it's really important and has a lot to do about the quality of the work that you're putting out there and that, you know, compliance goes right along with quality. Are there industries or specific types of businesses that are like absolutely required to meet that standard? Well, technically, yes. Like the government, anything federal has to meet that. So besides the ADA, there's another set of laws for federal websites. And that's 508. I don't know the exact term. By the way, I just want to put this out there. I'm not an attorney. Don't take my advice as legal advice. I just, I'm an agency owner. So take it as my two cents and leave it as that. But 
Yeah, 508 is the section of laws for the government and it's mandated they have to abide by accessibility standards. They have an oversight committee that checks everything. So yes, it is regulated where you absolutely have to do it if you're a governmental site. It gets a little bit foggier if you're just a run-of-the-bill business, if you're just a standard business. It's not enforced by an oversight committee and there's no internet cops that are going around checking every website to make sure that they're accessible. However, you are still open to being sued if you don't have your website compliant enough. Yeah, that can be really costly. Just the threat of being sued can have a lot of consequences that come along with it. So I'm sure a lot of clients want to avoid that, especially if they have that crossover of having a digital presence, but selling something physically and people of all abilities need to order that product. But are there other benefits, you know, other than, you know, covering your butt definitely being super important. But if you're looking at, hey, I want to put out a really high quality experience, are there other benefits to making it accessible? For sure. And when we go through this in the discovery phase, the analogy that I like to bring up with business owners is that this is a type of business insurance. If you take your business seriously and you invest in your business, you're going to insure it for a lot of things, errors and omissions, et cetera, et cetera. So this is basically a way of providing business insurance. And the analogy on there, it's almost literal, but it's mostly behind the scenes stuff. It'll save you capital in the long run, potentially millions, because you can go from being sued and not being sued. On top of that, you're saving yourself from potential brand damage. Any large company that gets in the newspaper for being sued for not thinking of their customers uh, is really uh, not a good thing. It, it tarnishes your brand. I don't know if you've heard of the case of Domino's when they're getting sued over ADA for their mobile app or their in their website. Did you hear about that case at all? No, I have not heard of that. Okay. It's an interesting case. We looked into it a couple of years ago and there's a guy, Guillermo, and he was trying to order, he's legally blind and he's trying to order a pizza. And so first he went on the app and he's like, I just, I can't use this thing. And he went on the website and he's like, I still can't order a pizza. So he ended up suing Domino's because it wasn't ADA compliant. Well, Domino's actually, it went to the Supreme Court and they were trying to argue ADA is just for physical buildings only. There isn't a precedent for websites. And the Supreme Court actually sided with Guillermo on this. So that kind of opened it up that your websites are now going to have to be compliant and you're going to have to think of people with disabilities and make sure you keep them in mind when you're developing your digital assets. So going back to what I was saying earlier, it can tarnish your brand and now you can be sued if it's not up to snuff. If you're, if you're not ADA compliant and you have a person with disabilities trying to use your digital assets and they just can't, they can sue you and that's going to tarnish your brand as well. So that's a, probably one of the biggest consequences that you can think of. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but. <laughs> oh no, that's fascinating. I mean, not only did it tarnish their brand because a customer couldn't order their product, but then they took it to the Supreme Court feels like the wrong, mm -hmm. the wrong route to go. Yeah. So as a company, it, and especially like a lot of our clients are in B2B, 
I can see that as these marketplaces become more popular and as people are putting out their products for uh, even their B2B buyers to buy directly, how important it is that everyone can buy it. And yeah, and, and for sure. And what Domino's did at first is like, hey, we'll just make it where you can order pizzas on Alexa and Google Home. And they thought that was good enough. And the Supreme Court's like, no, if you have an app and a website, you got to make sure that people with disabilities can use those as well. So you really do have to think about the full gamut when you're making your digital assets and making sure that everybody can use them for sure. And like you said earlier, the B2B is drastically changing, especially since the pandemic. And they're, the figure you said earlier, what was it? $500,000 that they spend up to for their digital in, enhancements? But that's how much uh, buyers are willing to like actually buy online. Yeah. Like they will do a transaction, an e-commerce transaction for up to $500,000 online, which is a really relatively new phenomenon. Yeah. We actually have a client that has an auction-based website and they've sold estates, houses and, and real estate online where people oh go in. And, and so we've seen the price get up roughly to that high online which is, it's just, it's mind blowing when you think of that. So when the price tag's that big, you better hope that everybody on earth, if they can purchase it online, they should be able to do so. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other side, you know, we think about quality and quality experience. It all sounds good, but it does come with some challenges. So even if you're starting to go down the road of, well, I don't know if we need to be ADA compliant. I don't know if there's going to be a business benefit to being ADA compliant. There are some challenges. And what are those? What are some challenges people can expect as they look to evolve their apps and websites? Yeah. And I can unpack that a little bit because it's going to look different for a company like Domino's versus a company like Joe's Tree Service it's going to be drastically different for a company like Domino's. Yeah. You better dot all your I's, you better cross all your T's and you better make sure that you have everything fully up to snuff for Joe's tree service. And you're getting thousand views a month or less. You probably don't have to worry about the color contrast and for colorblind people, for example, it's going to be different for every single business. There are challenges that they have to endure and overcome. The main challenge for every business, if you embark on making your website ADA compliant is getting your code up to snuff. And there are a lot of different areas in your code that you have to get cleaned up to make it ADA compliant. One of the biggest first things that you need to start with is making sure that it's keyboard accessible. So if somebody is blind, they can hit the tab key, go through your website and the elements that they tab to can speak out loud and tell them exactly what it is. So let's say a submit button doesn't just say button. It'll say something like submit form, for example, uh, having nice alt tags on your images. There's a plethora of things that go into making a website ADA compliant. So the main challenge is getting the code up to snuff. There's also a secondary challenge, and that is keeping your design integrity while meeting accessibility standards. And this almost fully revolves around the, the issue of color. So some people have certain types of vision problems, color blindness, et cetera, et cetera. And if you really want to make 
everything 100% up to snuff, you almost have to make your website a little bit uglier and have things just jump out even more. So it's a tricky thing to make sure that you're keeping your brand standards, but you're also meeting accessibility standards. It's an art form for sure. You really have to think outside the box in a few occasions. So that's the other challenge is making sure that your brand standards are still present in your digital assets, but you're also meeting accessibility standards. Again, I'm not an attorney by any means, but use your gut on some of this. And if you're close on, let's say the color blindness, the contrast part of it, you can probably go with it. If you're feeling that you're safe, you're safe. But yeah, those are some of the challenges, making sure that your code is up to snuff and making sure that your brand integrating your brand elements are not falling to the wayside. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors at Tunlo. What's one of the biggest challenges that marketers face? It's that the sales team doesn't understand the value of digital marketing. To help prove your worth, simply boost the volume of ready-to-buy customers and help your sales team win more customers faster. To get started, download the guide, Five Data Exchanges Between Sales and Marketing to Increase Win Rates. Download the guide at tenlo.com. That's T-E-N-L-O dot com. And now back to our show. So getting your code up to snuff and doing things in a consistent manner sound really tedious, but from experience, that's kind of awesome because it sort of forces you to get the naming conventions in place to do things to a standard that everyone can share. Have you had clients who doing ADA compliance has kind of benefited their internal processes and ability to scale their overall site or app in the long run? Oh, hundred percent. And it not only benefits them, it benefits us or any other agency that has to work on their project. So for example, the first thing is that it forces you to organize your work and organize it in a manner that makes sense. This is great because anybody within that company that has to work on the project now, it's more legible. It's not, it's not jumbled and all over the place and nothing makes sense. It's you really have to structure your content well and have it make sense. And so anybody within the company now should be able to jump in on that project and work on it. And on the other side of the coin, if that company hires an agency like ours or anybody else's, handing off projects is so much more smooth when a website is fully compliant because everything is laid out so well. There's no learning curve. There's, I would say there's no learn. There's not as much of a learning curve and it's a lot easier to teach somebody to jump into your project when it's structured so well, everything's labeled so cleanly and everything just makes sense that way. So yes, there's definitely a lot of benefits for, for doing it. That's awesome. Do you have any tools or sort of guides that someone just looking to get started in making their website compliant can reference? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few we use here and, and the big one is starting out. If you're really pressed on time and you want to do the quick test, literally close your eyes, install a screen reader plugin and try to go through your site and see if you can or can't. That's like the super, super quick test. There's a lot of good Chrome plugins out there. There's one called Silk Tide that's very powerful and you can check so many different things on it. So Silk Tide, uh, if you look up Silk Tide Chrome plugin, I'm sure you'll find it, but there's a bunch of other ones too. So if you don't like Silk Tide, you can find something else. 
So that's a great way for smaller business to get started is just uh, install that plugin, plop it on their website, check it out, get their score because it's free and it's quick and you can get some immediate answers right away. If you're more of a higher end client and you want to do this internally, for example, there's third-party software that you can use. Accessibility is one of them. I think they've had some pretty major rounds of funding. They're a very well-established company and that's what they focus themselves on. So I'm not sponsored by them by any means, but it's Accessibility. It's like accessible without the L. That's more of a premium paid service if you wanted to hire something like that. But if you want to hire an agency that's deep into dev and they know your project, any agency like ours, ones that are similar to ours can also do that as well. So there's a whole gamut of tools out there for you. When I was preparing for this interview, I was just doing some general searches around ADA compliance, ADA compliance agencies and accessibility popped up. And it, it is like shocking and really telling that they just announced a $28 million series A funding, you know, and when that much money is going into a company that's entirely based on accessibility, you have to think <laughs> that it's pretty darn important. <laughs> For sure. That the Domino's case, it really opened up Pandora's box. And it's, I think there's roughly about 2,000 cases a year of people trying to sue businesses for the digital assets not being ADA compliant. So it's not a small thing. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head, 100%. Yeah, it's not a small thing. And I feel like from the soft benefits you described, it's, it's worth it. It's worth the soft benefits of loan, of the efficiencies that are gained. Like, yes, it's an upfront investment. Yes, there's going to be some upfront challenges, but what you gain internally, as well as protecting yourself and being accessible to people of all different abilities, um, that, that just seems huge. You don't have to worry about it and you, you'll open yourself up um, to all potential customers, which you know, is incredibly important, especially as more even professional services and large B2B enterprises go online. 100%. And if you're an established business and really a, more of a top tier company, it's, it's more paramount that you make sure that your websites and mobile apps and everything are all ADA compliant because the potential downfall from that is it's, it's too big to bear. Yeah. So, and this feels, you know, is a recent development and getting, or at least in B2B world um, and gaining a lot of momentum how, how do you know if you fall out of a compliance or if something changes? So in general, that's a good question. I would say in general, if you do a, a big push, a big cleanup, and you're fully up to snuff, that'll hold you over for a decent amount of time. Uh, the more popular that your digital asset is, the more often I believe you should check it. So very large companies get away with annual checkups. So even once a year is, is fine. I've seen those large companies go once every three years. You know, that, that could be stretching it a little bit, but um, doing those checkups makes sure that you're not falling out of line and that there's not some new standard that comes out. So, um, so the first thing, just make sure you get it done. You do your full ADA compliance and make sure that you're fully up to snuff, but then put it on the calendar to, to 
to keep it up to date, you know, do your annual checkups or your three-year checkups or whatever it may be, because it would be such a headache if you went through all the, the work to get it fully up to snuff. And then six years later, you're getting sued because of some rule you didn't know about. So you do have to keep up on it. Um, another stat that I came across in the research is, you know, 15% of medium to high gross e-commerce brands are going to start deploying their own marketplaces. So we saw this like huge shift of B2B using these, you know, Amazon, Amazon business um, to start selling their products when supply chains got disrupted and sales teams got grounded. And what I'm wondering is people are building their own marketplaces, their own e-commerce platforms is how are they able to track or see if customers are using readers or other um, accessibility tools to access their content? And does that pop up in analytics or anywhere? You can, like there's certain things you can do to, to track uh, some of these things, but you'd have to have a pretty technically savvy agency working on your project. <clears throat> if you just have a run of the mill WordPress, WooCommerce setup, in uh, just general Google Analytics or Tag Manager, no, you're not going to, you're basically not going to see that data. Uh, if you have a, a good marketing agency that's able to set up Tag Manager, <clears throat> tagged along with a good development agency that can make sure your code is talking properly to Tag Manager, uh, then yes, you can see some of those extra details if um, somebody's, let's say they're using screen readers or, or some other things. You're not going to be able to see every single little thing, but you can get a decent amount of detail if you put enough uh, TLC into your digital assets. I really like that. I know that we use um, next page path flows all the time just to see how deep people are going and if to measure the value of the content. Like, are they actually getting to a place where they download it? And I feel like if you could set it up similarly using Google Tag Manager and events, you can see you know, are the readers taking people as deep as they should be getting, like, and make sure that all the great code improvements you did are delivering the desired experience um, from an accessibility standpoint. Yeah, and that that's that's a great point, and I, I love that that content flow that you're talking about on on analytics, and it throws me through a loop sometimes because you think they're going to be clicking on page X and they're really going to page Y and it's like, gosh, why are they doing that? Yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. Analytics can really open up Pandora's box and make you think about all sorts of digital projects. It's a really uh, a fun tool to use, but uh, no, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I, I, I fully agree with all that. And I think to dovetail off of that, uh, that just kind of proves the point that ADA works really well with um, a full development type setup. So um, not just saying, here's our website, make it ADA compliant. That's great, but it should also go with code cleanup with page speed enhancements, um, working with the marketing team for on-page SEO, um, working with uh, your, your ad team, Google ad team for conversion optimization and ex AB experiments and everything like that. If you're going to invest in uh, your ADA compliance, do the whole gamut, make sure that you're, you're really going top notch with your digital assets. Yeah, I agree. And that brings up another question. Are there any algorithms like Google or any other search engines that are prioritizing sites that are more accessible? So that's a, 
tricky question. I'm not going to claim to be the Google answer man here, but I, the data that Google can collect and does have, they will use because uh, they have machine learning and all sorts of stuff that's way, way, way over my head. Um, so I do know that whatever data they can collect, they're going to use no matter what. So if they're able to collect data that your website is working well for people on screen or people that need screen readers and that it's ADA compliant, that's great. I think you're still going to get more of a benefit by making it more Google friendly. Unfortunately, just that's just the way they work. So making sure that people are staying on your page for a very long time, that they're clicking around, that the bounce rate's low, that the page speed is high, that your content's great, you know, all the, all those things that we all know about. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. This makes me want to go research like, hey, are there browsers that are specific um, to ADA or pe people are differently abled and um, compare those to what Google publishes as its own standards and what its algorithm values. Um, that could be a really interesting exercise as you start to explore that balance between, you know, uh, pure accessibility and your judgment calls on design. And at the end of the day, if you stay centered on what's best for the audience, you know, that can help you make those decisions, you know, post analysis. hundred percent. And, and I, so I own the businesses. I'm, I'm, I'm not a developer uh, like my senior engineers and developers are or marketers. I'm not, you know, I'm just the jack of all trades guy here, but um, when they do set these sites up, you can set up your um, let's say your Google Chrome, for example, you can set that up as if you uh, had disabilities or as you're visually impaired and you can step through it that way. And I've seen them do that. So um, that's a, a good place to start going back to what I was saying earlier is just look at it like you, you are that person, like you're the person with disabilities and can you use your own website or your own mobile app? Yeah, that is a great place to start. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being a guest. We covered a lot. Um, I think for anyone who is looking to become more familiar with what it takes to have a compliant website, you know, check out ADA compliance, the WCAG. Um, and if you search ADA compliance checklists, that's, that's pretty thorough list of what needs to be done. Uh, but it's in daunting. some, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, in summary, it's companies should start going down this road and exploring it and documenting milestones against how to address the challenges because, you know, we're all going to be using and relying on the internet more and more. And that sounds funny because we already rely on the internet huge, like a ton, but that evolution is going to continue. Yeah, stop sweeping it under the rug. You got to start taking care of it ASAP. Yes. I two cents on that. <laughs> Ryan, where can people find you if they want to get a hold of you? Cool. I'll, I'll say three ways. First, our website. It's just happydog.digital. Uh, that's a great place to learn all about the company and uh, get to know us a little bit better. Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn. You can just look up Ryan Boog. There's only two Ryan Boogs in the United States. It's B-O-O-G. Um, there's one in Michigan who is a younger chap. And then there's me in Minnesota. So find the Ryan Boog in Minnesota from Happy Dog. Uh, you can connect with me there. I love chatting with everybody on LinkedIn. My email is just ryan at happydog.digital. You can shoot me an email about anything and I'm very responsive and uh, I'll answer any questions you send my way. Perfect. 
And you can find this episode on our website at tenlo.com and check out all the other episodes. We've been exploring the evolution of marketing technology. Uh, this is another great slice. And then we'll also be talking more about the evolution of e-commerce marketplaces, workflow automation in future episodes. So visit tenlo.com podcast for all the leader generation episodes, or you can also get them on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and think like every podcast platform imaginable. So thank you again, Ryan, for being here. And I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Yeah, thank you, Tessa. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of Leader Generation by Tenlo Radio. Be sure to subscribe on tenloradio.com.